That's not, that's not evil? Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil? Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said, I can't do it? Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. You're fighting for the gay disco. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't, don't use those kinds of slurs on the gay disco. What are there are no slurs here? Die for the gay disco. This is an uprising against smug elites. Smug elites. So they're the villains. And the opposite is Definitely our most requested guest. Uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That, that's what they thats what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. I mean, is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think uh, God had a plan for your life. Well, you'd be jerking off to every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Fight the people who don't like disco. Maybe you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> Not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. Hello, it's Friday again. Another episode of EMJ Live. Uh, momentous day today. We all woke up this morning wondering if World War III was going to break out. The big uh, event uh, for today was the speech from uh, by Hassan Nasrallah, head of Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, gave a long speech, uh, which was significant more by what it didn't say than it did say. And what it didn't say was that he declared war on Israel. So the world heaved a sigh of relief at this point. Uh, and the hope that there will be some type of uh, dialing down of the tensions in the Middle East uh, and allow Anthony Blinken to do his job. Anthony Blinken, our illustrious Secretary of State, is back in Israel. The world is demanding a ceasefire. The world is demanding an end to the ongoing atrocities and war crimes that Israel is committing the most significant being the blowing up of the hospital in Jabila using six 
bunker buster bombs from America, uh, hundreds of casualties, including many women and children. Uh, but uh, the is uh, Netanyahu, the head of prime minister of Israel, uh, has doubled down since that time, increasing the outrage. Uh, he is appealing, uh, talking about Amalek. Amalek, uh, the enemy of the Hebrews, is to be exterminated, uh, including women, children, and animals. And this is the model that Bibi Netanyahu has in mind uh, for the Palestinians. And the world is aghast, and the world is uniting against him. Uh, uniting as well in the United States of America, senators are calling, Democratic senators are calling for a ceasefire. The pressure is is mounting. Uh, no one knows how it's going to be resolved. We can all pay, pray for a peaceful resolution. But uh, the main thing that um, you learn in dealing with our, our Jewish uh, brothers here is that they don't know how to talk. Uh, negotiation is not their strong suit. And when you stop talking, there's only violence. And so uh, Anthony Blinken, first time around, uh, announced that uh, he was not only Secretary of State, but I come to you as a Jew. At that point, he destroyed his position as the honest broker, sided with one side. Uh, the Arabs wouldn't talk to him at that point. Uh, and then he said that he had relatives who died in the Holocaust. What's he going to say now? Is he going to go into Benjamin Netanyahu and say, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust? How is he going to have any type of leverage with a man when he's already conceded that he's on the side of the very people that he needs to bring under control? We don't know. It, uh, we'll find out eventually. Uh, but in the meantime, what we're seeing now is massive defection uh, on the part of the Jews from the Zionist project. Uh, there are demonstrations all over the world now, but one of the interesting features about these demonstrations is the number of Jews that are showing up to protest against Zionism. Uh, we had a massive demonstration in Brooklyn uh, this past week. Um, prominent uh, there were the Orthodox rabbis. I think it was Netarai Karta. Uh, the group of Orthodox rabbis, which feels that uh, there is Zionism is a perversion of Judaism, demanding uh, a ceasefire. Uh, there was an interesting conversation in England, young Jews now, uh, who are totally appalled at the behavior of Netanyahu, Likud party, and the racists who are in charge of uh, Israel at the moment trying to distance themselves from Netanyahu, from Israel, but at the same time maintaining their identity as Jews. This is complicated, uh, but it's not impossible to understand. I've already told you, if you read the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, you know this, that in the Pale of the Settlement in the 19th century, there were two ideologies competing for the attention of the Jews. There was Zionism and there was communism. Zionism is Jewish nationalism. Communism is Jewish internationalism. And now the Jews who are appalled uh, at the young Jews who are appalled at be, uh, the genocidal behavior of the Israelis are going back to what they say is the original tradition, which is the socialist left-wing position, which is uh, the classic example of the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Lest we fall into this, uh, I have to remind you that uh, we are faced with two, 
two equally repugnant alternatives here. Uh, Zionism is riding high now. Uh, 30 years ago, it was, it was no, 40 years ago, it was uh, communism. But why do we have to be subjected to Jewish alternatives? Is there another option? Of course, there's another option. We talked about it. It's Logos. Uh, but until we have that uh, conversion here, and there are Jews who are converting. It was a Jewish convert who brought my attention to that debate that I just mentioned in England. Uh, we have to be able to understand that there are basically two wings of the same bird of prey, the left wing and the right wing, as Father Coughlin used to say. And both of them are uh, bad for any culture where uh, they get in place. Which brings us <coughs> to the latest issue uh, at Notre Dame, which is that uh, that illustrious so-called Catholic University is keeping with its tradition of outraging Catholic sensibilities. And this time, it's not going to be the vagina monologues, which Johnny Jenkins, president, defended. It's not going to be the last temptation of Christ, which caused scandals years and years ago. It's like one scandal after another. This time, it's drag queen story hour. Yes, you guessed it. How could Notre Dame have its credentials as a Catholic university if they didn't put on a performance of Drag Queen Story Hour? So this is, uh, 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 as we came to expect, sponsored by film, television, and theater. I remember film, television, and theater uh, years ago when they put on a discussion of Mel Gibson's movie, uh, the Passion of Christ. It was a Jewish operation from start to finish. Rabbi Michael Signer led the discussion, and basically it was whether Mel Gibson was an anti-Semite because he quoted the gospel. At that point, I was trying to say, trying to raise my hand, wouldn't get recognized. Well, don't you mean, isn't St. Matthew the anti-Semite? Because he said, it's a quote from his gospel, which is blood be on us and our children. Anyway, so Notre Dame is at it again, hundreds, but creating hundred protests, hundreds of students, staff, and community members are planning to protest outside of a drag show that is being sponsored by the University of Notre Dame, scheduled for tonight, 7.30. So if you're in the area, you can come over and protest, or you can come and drag if you want, and they will welcome you with open arms. Okay, the university once again has its standard position. In other words, that this is academic freedom. This is not academic freedom. Uh, Notre Dame does not pre pre permit academic freedom. Johnny Jenkins is the man who set the parameters for Notre Dame when he wrote his famous, by now infamous, statement on academic freedom in which he said, we would certainly allow a performance of the vagina monologues, but we would never allow a performance of the Oberammergau Passion Play. That's the standard that's at Notre Dame. In other words, anything that is deliberately transgressive and uh, covertly Jewish, subverting the uh, teaching of the Catholic Church, will find a welcome there. But if you put on the Oberammergau Passion Play, they'll call the cops. I have dealt with this uh, issue, as you probably suspected. This is the latest issue of Culture Wars magazine. 
And it's basically the story of Drag Queen Story Hour, as we have come to know it, uh, uh, where it came from, uh, how it got to where we are today. Because uh, there was an incident here in South Bend, Indiana, where they did have a Drag Queen Story Hour. The Proud Boys showed up and suddenly there was, it was like World War III. What are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. Local news and so on and so forth. The libraries across this country are the home of Drag Queen Story Hour. Its purpose is to uh, corrupt the morals of other people's children. These people do not have children of their own, but they like to lure other people's children into the library where they put on obscene transgressive performances to basically break down the threshold of uh, shame that people naturally feel. Why any uh, parent would take his child to one of these events is beyond me, but it has happened more than once. A lady by the name of... Uh, K.L. Lothbrook uh, wrote uh, a, a, an interesting uh, history of this. She said that Drag Queen Story Hour is a troubling phenomenon that has swept the nation starting in approximately 2016. Libraries all over the country, from rural Iowa to downtown New York City, have hosted men dressed as flamboyant caricatures of women in tight sequin dresses, sky-high heels and garish makeup to promote gender-bending homosexuality and cross-dressing to minors. There have been a series of damning videos smuggled out of a number of these events depicting the drag queens engaged in lewd acts such as stripping in front of children, prancing down catwalks as children hold out, do hold out dollar bills if they're at a, at a strip club. And one such set of photos from the Ames, Iowa Public Library shows a drag queen laying on the ground as preschool and toddler-aged children climb on him, on top of him, where they grope his, quote, breast as he grins. These events began with the performer merely reading a story to children in the traditional story time format. But in the wake of two, June 2019, the Pride Month that gave even the most dedicated accelerationist whiplash, many of these events have become less about literacy and more about simply perform, performing drag fetish shows for children. On the surface, Drag Queen Storytime is presented as a great way for little kids to learn about tolerance, dress up, ex acceptance, and play. Never mind that there are a plethora of other ways to teach those same lessons to children that don't involve exposing impressionable and often vulnerable young children to sexually deviant grown men dressed in slutty women's clothing. In fact, many of the critics' worst assumptions about this program are well-founded. It has been well-publicized that the Houston, Texas Public Library hosted two registered sex offenders at their children's program. All public servants who work professionally with children from nurses to teachers to coaches and bus drivers go through a rigorous screening process prior to interacting with children, including an FBI background check, fingerprinting, drug screenings, and child abuse trainings. Drag queen storytime performers are subject, not subject to any of the scrutiny before they are left alone with kids. There have been multiple cases in recent years of teachers being fired for overly risque social media posts, yet the drag queen's social media accounts are rife with profanity, nudity, drug references, and sadomasochistic sexual imagery. In no objective sense can these individuals be considered positive role models. 
the transparency of Drag Queen Story Hour as a vehicle for the indoctrination of children and as a campaign against family values has not been lost on the general public. A recent poll conducted by Sonia Poulton found that 88% of respondents were opposed to Drag Queen Story Hour. The vast majority of Americans find the idea of drag queens reading to children in public libraries somewhere between morally repugnant and absurd. Why is Notre Dame doing this? Why This is not free speech. It's not a, a cultural artifact like a movie that should be discussed or anything like that. It has nothing to do with any of this type of stuff. It's because there is a certain element at Notre Dame that is deliberately transgressive and spends a lot of time uh, working to undermine the faith of the children, the children, the young adults that get sent to that university for a Catholic education. But more importantly, it's run by a group of priests, the Holy Cross priests, who do nothing to prevent this. And not only do they do nothing to prevent it, they enable it, they promote it. I've talked about this in other articles in Culture Wars magazine. I've talked about the problem of homosexuality among this group of priests. And I've talked about the fact that the solution to this problem lies with the bishop uh, who uh, allows these people to run this university and claim that it's Catholic. Uh, that is the permission slip that he's given them allows this type of subversion of the Catholic faith on a massive scale. And I've been reporting about it for over 40 years now. Uh, unlike Moses, who only had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, I've been doing this for 42 years, wandering in the wilderness of Indiana outside of Notre Dame University. So what happened here? The, the, uh, when this happened in South Bend, the local TV people needed some type of commentary. They needed commentary. Who's going to put this in perspective for the people of South Bend, Indiana, and who did they turn to? The ADL. The Anti-Defamation League showed up to justify Drag Queen Story Hour and vilify the Proud Boys. Now, uh, I know I know they think I'm an anti-Semite, but I'm not making this up. Why is the ADL defending this type of thing? Well, again, read the Jewish revolutionary spirit and you'll find out why they, Jews are involved in moral subversion. There's even a shorter book called Jews and Moral Subversion. You can read that and find out in detail why they're involved in this thing, why they only feel comfortable in any culture when they're subverting the morals of the majority of people. Here we have another example of this here in South Bend, Indiana, but it goes deeper than that too. Okay, now, uh, did was this created? Was this created by a Jew? No, it was created by, I assume, someone who was a Catholic. The lady's name is uh, Michelle T. Her real name is Tomasik. Uh, so she's got a Polish father and it turns out she has an Irish mother as well. She's a lesbian. And where do lesbians go uh, when they want to become uh, fully uh, expressive of their lesbianism? They go to San Francisco. And she got there as working as a uh, minimum wage job, two minimum wage jobs, finding difficulties to support herself. And so she got involved in, quote, sex work, which is another word for prostitution. 
Okay, and at that point, she uh, created this thing called Drag Queen Story Hour. Now, that's a completely, well, she was a Catholic. Is that a Catholic operation? Well, if you want to call it that, I don't know. But the important thing with something like this is not who created it. We'd never know about Michelle T's if it weren't for the big foundations who rushed in to support her and promote her. And all of those foundations were Jewish. Okay, uh, the Pritzker family was involved in supporting her. George Lors, uh, Soros's Open Society Foundation showered money on the lesbian attempt to corrupt the morals of other people's children. The main source of San Francisco private funding for this lady's uh, Drag Queen Story Hour is provided also by two Jewish foundations, the Walter and Elise Haas Foundation and the Zellerbach Foundation who see sexual subversion as a, uh, an essential part of their mission. Walter and Elise Haas Foundation, founded by Walter Haas, son of Jewish Bavarian immigrants who married Elisa Stern, daughter of the niece of the founders of Levi Strauss Jeans. Haas is best known for being the president of Levi Strauss from 1928 to 1955. He is credited with saving and growing that band, uh, brand. Um, the other Bay Area philanthropic organization which funds Drag Queen Story Hour is the Zellerbach Family Foundation, whose wealth comes from, quote, a family, a wealthy family of Jewish immigrants known for owning a huge paper and pulp mill conglomerate and enormous timber and land holdings in the Pacific Northwest. From 2002 16 to the present, the Zellerbach Foundation has donated over. $46 million to support Drag Queen Story Hour and other similar projects. Well, that's a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money to go to corrupting other people's children. Why are the Jews involved in this? I've already gone into this. Okay. Now, what happened here is that other people, not only did they fund it, it turns out that whenever it sh shows up in a local place, the Jews rush out to defend it. As I said here, the ADL rushed in to defend this outrage when it was uh, uh, promoted at the South Bend Library. Okay. Uh, in January 2023, Kevin McDonald uh, commented on an article which appeared at the New York Jewish Week entitled, quote, Jews prominent defenders of Drag Queen Story Hour. McDonald cites in the New York Jewish Week piece, which explained in detail, this is a quote uh, from the New York uh, Jewish Week, as right-wing protesters descend upon Drag Queen Story Hour events across New York, they have frequently been met by loosely connected movement of counter-protesters that include many progressive Jewish groups. Since September, right-wing activists have routinely protested Drag Queen Story Hour events where a person dressed in drag reads to children. The aim of these story times, according to the founder of Drag Queen Story Hour, New York chapter, is to promote literacy while giving children positive queer role models. In other words, to uh, deaden their sensibilities uh, and, and uh, put them, what, what's the word we use? Grooming? Give them a positive attitude toward homosexuals so that these homosexuals can molest them when they feel the need to. At the Queens Public Library in Jackson Heights on December 29, 2022, 
Uh, at least five members of the Proud Boys, a far-right extremist group, showed up to harass people attending a story session. These protesters were met by hundreds of activists from the other side, many of whom are Jewish. They included members of Jews for racial and economic justice, outlived them, united against racism and and fascism and other organizations. According to McDonald's account, a Jew by the name of Farber told the New York Jewish Week that last Thursday there were at least 300 people defending Drag Queen Story Hour at the Queen's Library branch from all ages and backgrounds. Farber added that, quote, there are a lot of Jews, close quote, doing the behind the scenes work, the organizing and outreach that goes into pulling these defensives off. Quote continues, Jews are so heavily represented on the left, Farber said. There's been a reinfusion of energy on what people call the Jewish left. There are people getting self-organized into small groups that take political action into what they believe is needed to create a better world. And what do they call that? They call that tikkun olam, which is basically they have a right to corrupt the morals of other people's children. Now, um, this is the situation uh, we're in right now. Uh, We have, uh, I bring this up because at this moment in time, the world is fixated on the other wing of the Jewish bird of prey, namely the Zionist wing, without any understanding that the repudiation of the Zionist wing invariably leads you into the other side of the wing, the culture wars uh, side of the wing, the Marxist, whatever you want to call it, sexual liberationist, Al Goldstein wing of the Jewish uh, revolutionary spirit. One way or the other, you're confronted by these repugnant alternatives. And one way or the other, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, you want the more of the details, you can read this issue of Culture Wars magazine. Uh, you can subscribe to it and be informed uh, without me reading it to you. Okay. One way or the other, we are confronted with the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And no one can seem to do anything about it. And not only, you can't even talk about it. In spite of the fact that it dominates the news from one side or the other. So that's why we're here. We're going to talk about it. Let's hear what you have to say. All right. Hello, everyone. Once again, the voice you're hearing is Mike Bajakis, Dr. Jones' assistant. Quick rules for those who are new. We always have some new people jumping in. Um, All of our call-ins are made in our Telegram channel. Uh, Link is in description for who's ever watching on whatever platform. Uh, In Telegram, I will call on those who raise their hands and then later in the stream, we'll read off uh, text questions from the chat. Uh, some quick reminders. So try to keep questions on subject. Try to keep to one question at a time. Uh, try to be respectful of time. And whatever you do, do not forget to unmute yourself. Okay. Let us jump. Let me jump to Telegram over here. Get this going. And uh, our first is going to be, what is it? Uni- Universum? Go ahead, Universum, if you're there. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Okay, so first first time call, I'm going to be a bit be a bit out easy on the ropes. Um, and you did pronounce my name correctly. Very few people do on the first attempt. Thanks. Anyway, good to talk to you, uh, Dr. Jones. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. I had a uh, – I watched the um, – 
the film Oppenheimer again recently, and uh, it made me think of your your take that Christopher Nolan was kind of subtly signaling that this was sort of like calling out the Jews or saying that they had a kind of bloodlust against you know the Christian population of Europe or whatever else. But um, I, I noticed that there were these these offsetting scenes um, where they would have these little. It, it's kind of hard to explain, but it, it's almost like something they would put in like a Disney Star Wars or a Marvel movie, where they would be like, "Oh, you're um, you're on the English team now, is it? Oh, when did that happen?" And it says, "Oh, well, Hitler said I'm not a German anymore." Or Oppenheimer would be like, "Oh, well, they're not putting your people in camps. You can't understand it," or so on and so forth. So when the moral complexity of the film that people will talk about that comes in when dealing with the Japanese or with like the Cold War and the nuclear threat then. But when it's against the Germans, against the Nazis, it's not morally complex. It, it's very clear that the Jews are totally okay in um, doing the mass atrocities of, you know, the bombings that they were wanting to carry out. And I just wondered if you remembered those scenes from the film. Granted, it, it was a while since it was in sure. the theaters. No, I do. I do remember. Uh, that's, that's the Holocaust narrative. The Holocaust narrative ju justifies any behavior. It justifies the indiscriminate killing of women and children. And that's in Oppenheimer. It's obviously, at that point, it's the Japanese who are the victims of the atomic bomb. It's now in Gaza, which uh, dropping bombs on hospitals. Uh, it was, it, this is, this is the, the way they think. And I think, as I said in that article, it was in a previous issue of Culture Wars, it's basically, I think Nolan's criticizing this in, in, a, in a subtle and sophisticated way and telling us that we're in the same situation. We're, uh, I quoted at the end of the article, the last NATO meeting, where the uh, NATO is now saying they're willing to use nuclear weapons against China. This is the hidden current of the movie, which is basically don't put Jews in charge of a project unless you want to see a lot of dead, innocent people. This is the moral of the, the, the Jewish revolutionary spirit. It always ends up killing innocent people, whether it's abortion as a fundamental Jewish value on the culture war side of the issue or dead babies. There are a thousand dead children lying under rubble now in Gaza because of the Zionist version of the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And I think it's time that we woke up and started to act accordingly to try and get this menace under control. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, okay. Next here, we're going to go with Amy Smith. Uh, go ahead, Amy. Hi, Dr. Jones. Hello. Sorry, can't usually be here. Lucky I have a day off. Um, I just wanted to say when they were doing the drag queen story hour at a local, like a craft store, they didn't actually do it in the library as far as I know yet, but we did have a protest and my sign said, stop mocking women. Um, it's just interesting how the whole claim to be part of the left and the whole feminist movement has just been overstepped with the, the sports, you know, putting men in women's sports and um, just this trivializing of, of female, you know, caricaturing, you know, yeah. female sexuality, I guess, and just so disrespectful. But of course, if you were to wear blackface or something, which I agree is disrespectful, then people would be, you know, never allowed to work again. But then this kind of uh, caricaturing of women is just celebrated. And it's uh, just such a contradiction, but we need people to just 
speak up, I guess. Where, I don't know. Yeah, anyway. where were... Look, look, feminism was a Jewish operation of the 1970s. It was a direct descendant of Marxism. Betty Friedan was born Betty Goldberg. She was a member of the Communist Party. It just wasn't wasn't class conflict. It was sex conflict. And you were supposed to be ashamed if you... Uh, talked about sexes, sexes in a denigrating way. Well, that's exactly what these, you're right. That's exactly what these people are doing. They are denigrating female sexuality. They're caricaturing female sexuality. And no one seems to, uh, but it's okay because uh, it's a Jewish operation and Jews always determine the cutting edge of the of whatever revolutionary movement. And that's the cutting edge of the revolutionary movement right now. But <laughs> it's not that simple. Uh, because what you're seeing here is that uh, you can't promote, uh, let's say, um, transgenderism, uh, let's say sports, uh, some dude showing up and claiming he's a woman and winning the gold medal without destroying Title IX, which was the feminist version of, of female sports. Can't do it. The same thing is true. This is uh, what Hegel would call the cunning of reason. The same thing is true of uh, places like England and Germany right now. The Jews uh, uh, flooded Europe with immigrants. Uh, Kevin McDonald has also pointed out that the, the Immigration Act of 1965 was orchestrated by Jews to flood this country with people who were not from the normal places in Europe where they made up the majority of, this king, uh, of, the, of the United States of America. So who'd they bring in primarily? What's a good group of people? Let's bring the Muslims in. Because they don't like Christians and uh, they will be a fifth column. Well, it turns out that whole thing boomeranged on them with the attack in Gaza. Suddenly, the main people who are leading the protest against Jews, the main people attacking this Jewish project, are the Muslims that the Jews brought in to destroy the English and German culture. So that's the way God works in human history. God will not be mocked. God hears the cry of the poor. And at this point, the poor people crying are the children in Gaza. So something good is going to come out of this. I guarantee it. Can, can I throw in one more example? Yes. Is the way they used, um, you know, this, this DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and they promote this, like, land ownership statements and all that stuff on the colleges and decolonization of this and that and the other thing. And then people will take that to that logical conclusion. So if decolonization is good and colonization is bad, how are the left, uh, the, you know, that was just meant to destroy America, but how is that not going to be uh, used to examine what Israel's doing? Absolutely. So that's back that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what that guy was talking about. That young guy, the young Jew, was trying to save the, the good Jews and excommunicate the bad Jews, said that uh, basically Israel, they, they're white. And it's, Israel's an example of white European colonization of the third world. Well, that's preposterous. That's an attempt to save the phenomena. But you're right in the sense that now the, the, the knife is turning and it's facing the other direction. And the, the Israelis are now, on, as I said, on the other end of the knife now. God bless. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Let's go to Daniel Stone. Uh, go ahead, Daniel. Hello, Dr. Jones. Hello. Hello. I had a question. Um, have you done any research or have you ever spoken publicly about uh, how Israel got their nuclear weapons? Because it's kind of like the elephant in the room. Everybody knows about Israel having nuclear capacity weapons wise, but nobody wants to ask them how they got those weapons because they've never signed a non-proliferation treaty. I mean, 
to the, the only other nation that I think would probably have weapons that has never really alerted the world publicly to them it would be maybe North Korea, but I'm not sure of their capacity. Israel obviously has the backing of the West, but um, through various documentaries, I've been one by uh, Ryan Dawson Numac, um, you know, he brings the receipts. And it, it, I think this is one of those things that a lot of people, they're like, you know, what, what's the Samson option? And I'm like, well, you got to start doing some history. You know, is this somebody that you really want to be sending your troops into the to bat for? You know, somebody who's willing to either nuke themselves or nuke major cities. Right. Uh, I, de- I deal with this in, in the Oppenheimer, art, Oppenheimer article. Uh, so uh, what is the gist of that article? Basically, Oppenheimer and the, the United States gives asylum to these Jews who are being persecuted by the Nazis. They come over here. As soon as they get over here, they start sending nuclear secrets back to the Soviet Union because that's their real homeland. Their homeland is the Jewish revolutionary spirit, and that was the manifestation of it. Uh, but at the same time, Oppenheimer's going to Israel. And so he's collaborating with the Israelis to give them nuclear weapons. Bad idea. Why is it a bad idea? Because uh, Moshe Dayan is the one who articulated their policy. And he basically said, Israel has to behave like a mad dog. That's a direct quote, a mad dog so that everyone will leave us alone. Well, you got the mad dog part right, but everybody is not leaving you alone. And it's not going to work that way. It's not that simple. And now we're coming to precisely the crisis that's going to come. And the wild card in this game is the nuclear weapon. You mentioned the Samson option. It's based on Samson at the, you know, Eilis in Gaza. Uh, That's what uh, Milton says about him in Samson Agonistes. Uh, I was at Eilis in Gaza grinding at the mill in chains, uh, standing at at the temple between two pillars. He pushes the pillars out and the whole world collapses on its head. That's the Samson option. The Israelis, if they feel threatened, and they always feel threatened, uh, are ready to unleash a nuclear holocaust on the rest of the world, even if it means destroying themselves. This is something that goes deep into their psyche. Ben Shapiro, in talking about his understanding of Jewish history, mentions Masada, uh, Masada was uh, basically the Jews escaping from the failed attempt to overthrow Roman hegemony. The temple was destroyed and they made it to this plateau, the top of a mountain, and they all committed suicide. Okay, that's one thing with Masada, with nuclear weapons, they're going to take a lot, of, a lot of other people with them. That's why we need to work here to provide some type of off-ramp that obviously the Biden administration uh, is incapable of doing at the moment. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Daniel. Let's go to A.W. Go ahead, A.W. And don't forget to unmute on your side. Oh, hi. Sorry. Um, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, yes. Good evening, um, Dr. Jones. Um, I, I have one question, and, and that is, wh- what's your take on the uh, so-called anti-Zionist Jews, and that. Uh, oh, it depends. It depends. Them- it, it depends on which group you're talking about. There is a uh, an Orthodox contingent who feel that, like Netarai Karta. I met with uh, Rabbi David Weiss when I was in Mashhad. He's one of the 
leaders of that group, I said to the people there, I said, if all the Jews were like Rabbi David Weiss, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be talking about these issues. Uh, they're content to be off in their ghettos, their self-imposed ghettos. They just want to be left alone and so on and so forth. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, the other, the Jewish revolutionary spirit drives the Jew out of the ghetto and makes him want to take over the world uh, because he thinks he has a commission from God to engage in tikkun olam, healing the world. The left wing is what I've, uh, I, I just talked about. The left wing alternative Zionism has always been there, at least since the time of the shtetl, uh, and it was, it was known as communism. Uh, but communi these are not stable entities. Uh, they have, you know, they're like uh, uh, these elements. You know, they've got a half-life of a certain period of time, and then they disintegrate and morph into something else. And what happened with the uh, communist end of it is started off talking about economics and ended up talking about sex. And that's how we got to Drag Queen Story Hour. So either way, uh, it's going to be bad news for the culture that allows them to come in. And I think the conclusion after all of these experiences, the conclusion of listening to people like Blinken or uh, similar to that, uh, Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas, he was dragged in front of uh, Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley said, look, you're a total failure. The border is a joke. We have hundreds of thousands of people sweeping into the border. Why aren't you doing your job? And what does he say? I am the child of Holocaust survivors. It's the only thing they know how to say. Whenever you catch a Jew yeah. with his hand in the till or his pants down or doing something, not doing his job, he will invariably say that. And we have to conclude that you cannot allow these people to, to, into any government office. They do not represent the people of the United States of America. They represent you know, their own little clique their own little suicide cult, whatever you want to call it, and we cannot allow this to continue. Yeah, so in, in the, that brings me to someone like Ben Shapiro claims to be an Orthodox Jew, but then a lot of people say, oh, no, Zionists, are, they're, they're not religious. They're, the, the Orthodox Jews are against Zionism. They don't represent real Judaism. Right. He says that all the time. He said that when I, when I confronted him at the Right to Life Banquet in South Bend. 400, I said 150 Jewish organizations, because that's what it was, say that abortion is a fundamental of Jewish value. Immediately says, oh, they're not real Jews. <laughs> this, is, this is a joke, a standing joke among Jews now. One of the left-wing Jewish commentators referred to Ben Shapiro as the Jewish Pope. He probably got it from me. That's what I've been saying. Okay? Uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't excommunicate those people. So what you're doing, I see it as subversive why is he interested in calling himself a conservative when uh, because he wants to take over that 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 uh, side of the aisle he wants to take over that thread in the narrative and turn it into something that is conducive that is the antithesis of conservatism as i understand it which means rule of law uh, if you want to talk about an American context, it's John Adams saying we have no constitution that functions in the absence of a moral people. So logos, if there's logos isn't part of conservatism, then there's it's not conservative. You're not conserving anything of value. But as soon as Ben feels threatened, 
He throws all restraint, all moral restraint to the wind and just says it's Amalek, exterminate them. That's the way, that they all get hysterical. They, they're fragile people, even if, when they're, especially when they're in control. You cannot allow people like this to have positions in government. This is proof of that. What more proof do we need? Yeah. Okay, thank you, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. Okay, uh, thank you, A.W. We're going to do, do a couple more here, and then we're going to jump to the chat. And so you guys start uh, putting down your questions now. So we're primed and ready. Let's go to Flat Earth Eric. Go ahead, Mr. Flat Earth Eric. And don't forget to unmute yourself. Flat Earth Eric, you there? Okay. There we are. Unmute. Okay, I hear you. Oh, good. Um, I have three questions. Thank you for all your work. We'll start with this one. How did you first encounter Siva Catholica? Uh, good question. I saw that I was doing, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember now. I was in the middle of doing the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And I was right. during that period of time and I was doing research into chief. No, this, look, I did do talk about Chivata Catholica. But I had seen it before. I don't. To, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how I came across it. But what I did? No, wait a minute. Maybe I do. I think I met. I met the Jew. The, a Jew paid for that translation. This is a Jew who's worried about the future of the Jewish people. He said the Catholic Church has the best way of dealing with this, and he paid to have that translated. And I met the guy, and then I think that's that's when I uh, first read it. I also know the the woman who did the translation. So, but the actual details, I don't, I don't know exactly. Right, good, thank you. Uh, I've read some very bizarre things about, conspiracies about Edgar Allan Poe. Have you written about him? No. Uh, apparently he was murdered or something like that? The story is that he, he died uh, drunk in the gutter in Baltimore uh, of overdose. Right, yeah. right. I, I don't know any stories about him being murdered. Uh, last week, real quick, do you have any uh, opinion about the uh, actual benefits of polygamy for raising families and protecting females from uh, dangerous childbirth? I, I, uh, polygamy is uh, a, a falling away. It's a kind of uh, cultural degeneracy that is as close to the moral law as any type of degeneracy can be uh, because it's uh, the the man takes care of the children that he procreates. Uh, it was tolerated at the time of it was divorce was tolerated. Uh, my experience in Africa convinced me that uh, polygamy is basically what held back the economic development in Africa because it does not allow for the mobilization of labor. So with a classic example of this was uh, Julius Nyerere. I, I mentioned this in the book on Julius Nyerere. Uh, basically, Julius Nyerere's father had uh, 15 wives. He was the daughter, uh, son of the first. Uh, his brother then had seven wives. Uh, Julius Nyerere asked his brother, why uh, do you have so many wives? And he said, um, 
because I need them to work the farm. And at that point, Nerera says, well, why don't you buy a tractor? Now, that's the whole history of development in Africa in a nutshell. I have a book called The, Broker, the, Pump, the Broken Pump in Tanzania, where I go into this in detail. But basically, the, you did not need to mobilize labor because you procreated labor. You created this uh, labor force uh, of children that basically prohibited any type of sophisticated de economic development. That's the short answer, my short answer to your question. Thank you for all your work. You're welcome. All right. Okay, thank you, Flat Earth. We are going to jump to the chat here in Cozy and other platforms. Uh, we got some time here, so let me get started on my end. Here we go. Um, see, Dr. Dan asks, um, Dr. Jones, uh, what rock concerts did you attend in the late 60s, early 70s? Mostly the public things that were at uh, places like Belmont Plateau, like Earth Day. Uh, they'd have public concerts down in Rittenhouse Square. I don't, I don't, if, I don't remember. I went to, uh, there was something called the Electric Factory. I went there to see Cream. That was the Eric Clapton band. And they were so late, I just got tired and left before they didn't. They showed up. There was a band there called Lothar and the Hand People. Uh, I went to there to see them. But uh, at this time, it was there were still folk clubs like the Second Fret, and I'd go to see people like Eric Anderson, uh, that that type of thing. Uh, there, I didn't. I didn't spend. I didn't have enough money. <laughs> I couldn't afford it. <laughs> couldn't afford to go to concerts. Didn't have enough money, so I went to free concerts. Okay. Uh, from uh, Rumble, um, we have a question. Where did it go? Uh, right here. Uh, from a Navy veteran, Zero. Dr. Jones, I have a question. Is Blinken and Netanyahu playing uh, the good cop, bad cop? Uh, are they both planning uh, on? Are they both playing with genocide? I think that uh, Blinken is a deeply conflicted person. I don't think Netanyahu is conflicted at all. He's a, he's a, uh, he believes uh, in that uh, racist, exterminationist interpretation of the Bible that go by, goes by the name of Amalek. He I'm, th I'm sure he feels he's got commissioned by God to exterminate Amalek. Uh, so, uh, but I think Blinken is conflicted because he's, Secretary of State of a country that is not, uh, is technically not uh, a Jewish country. And so he's got this double identity of the uh, Secretary of State of the United States of America, where he's supposed to be representing American interests, but subverting that is his identity as a Jew, uh, which means he doesn't really, he doesn't like the people he's supposed to represent. Those people all are, are a threat to him. Uh, and so what he needs to do is uh, kind of, uh, you know, gin the system. And he learned that from his stepfather, which I go into detail uh, describing in, the, in that article. Samuel Pizar taught him how to play the, the, the Holocaust card, which allowed him to have his cake and eat it too. So in other words, you can go into an operation uh, ostensibly using a government office. And then once you get in there, you use the Holocaust card to turn that office into something that benefits the Jewish people and goes against the, uh, uh, the people you're supposed to represent. That's, that's the way I see it. I'm not sure that's good cop, bad cop. I don't see it that way. I see it more 
uh, a good cop, bad cop would be uh, what happened to Robert, Robert F. Kennedy when he said that Jews, something about Jewish DNA, and all the Jewish media jumped on him, and then that was the bad cop. The good cop was Rabbi Shmuley Botik, who came in and says, he's not an anti-Semite. And then uh, Kennedy so gratefully rushes out with an Israeli flag and marches down Fifth Avenue. That's more a good cop, bad cop. From uh, WK Worldwide on Cozy, uh, Dr. Jones, is there still a chance we'll see a second edition of Libido Dominante yes. this year? Hard not Probably not this year, but definitely it will be out in 2024. Definitely. There's no question. We are. Um, my assistant, Elisa, is proofreading it right now. It's going to go to the printer uh, soon, and it will be out in 2024. All right. From New Star 2015, will our republic survive the neocons? Good question. Good question. It depends on how you look at it. Uh, is, is it the apocalypse? Is, it, is this the, the end times? I, I don't know. Uh, I guarantee you that it, unless we expunge the neocon influence from our government, the government will not survive. It cannot survive on those terms. They've done enormous damage. The neocons, their project for a new American century, the idea of clean, the clean break from the old policy of coexistence, uh, the idea that they're going to conquer seven Islamic countries within five years. This has proven catastrophic for, uh, the, for America, and we are on the brink of World War III and nuclear war because of following that neocon playbook. We have to pull back from it. We have to establish... A, a policy that represents the American people and not uh, Jewish imperialism. From the digital Mexican on Cozy, um, Dr. Jones, uh, do the Orthodox Jews protesting the war believe in the Talmud? Which sect of the Jews are good? Yes, they do believe in the Talmud. Yes, they, they follow the Talmud. Um, and the Talmud is bad. There's no question about it. It was created. It's anti-Logos. It was created to keep keep Jews uh, from becoming Christians. That was the whole point of the Talmud. It's it's hundreds of years more recent than Christianity. Uh, so uh, my point is that all Jews reject Logos by the very fact that they're Jews. How they reject it, there's a Talmudic Orthodox crowd that uh, tends to, you know, go off by itself, just leave us alone, okay? I've already said that about Rabbi David Weiss. Uh, but uh, the Talmud, according to the Jewish Encyclopedia, is the heart of the Jewish people. Uh, now, there are anti-religious Jews who do not like the Talmud, but then they get involved in things that are worse, like communism and Zionism, so or drag queen story hour, whatever. So it's, it's rejection of Logos, all the way down. No matter where you look, it's rejection of Logos one way or the other. From a user on Cozy, uh, Dr. Jones, why are the Catholic, uh, why, uh, why is the Catholic intelligentsia so afraid of your scholarship? Because they want to align themselves with powerful political groups, powerful political factions. That's been the story of, of conservatism. Uh, people like Michael Novak uh, uh, basically felt that... Uh, uh, Michael Novak wrote one decent book. It was called The Rise of the Unmeldable Ethnics. And he talks about his Slovakian heritage growing up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. He's like the classic immigrant who wants to succeed 
according to the rules of the ruling class at, at that time. Uh, he tried, uh, he was at Harvard for a while. That didn't work out, didn't get his PhD. And then he saw that great moment of opportunity with the rise of neoconservatism, and he jumped on that train, and he basically uh, neutered himself as a Catholic thinker because he put ideology before the Catholic faith. He was a hired gun. High, Time Magazine hired him as their Rome correspondent. He was the creator of the, the spirit of Vatican II, which was basically the subversion of Vatican II. He was the classic immigrant who wanted to succeed uh, by doing what the, uh, the ruling class wanted him to do. And as a result, he neutered himself as a Catholic thinker. That's the tragedy of Catholics in America. George Weigel is his protege. Uh, he's doing the same thing. He did tried to carry this neoconservatism into an era where it was completely irrelevant. And I'm talking about the era of Pope Francis and Donald Trump. That's when it blew up. Uh, they, he, he, uh, he and Robbie George uh, wrote a manifesto in National Review excommunicating Trump from the uh, conservative movement. And Trump had the last laugh by becoming president. If George Weigel has something, had some, says something about Gaza, I have not heard it. What a Catholic can say about this other than condemning indiscriminate acts of warfare against uh, innocent women and children. I don't understand how any Catholic could say anything else about this. And if he tries to, if he tries to justify this abomination, this war against the Palestinian people, he will blow his cover as a Catholic. So he's in a bind. As far as I can tell, he's not saying anything because he doesn't know what to say. From Hate for the Left, question, Dr. Jones, the police visited Lucas Gage for posting on X about Jews. Have they ever come to see you or anyone you know? The FBI showed up at my door, um, uh, knocked on the door. Uh, I opened the door. They pushed past me, waving their FBI badges and saying, you're not under criminal investigation. Okay, well, that was reassuring to hear that. But if I'm not, then why are you here? Well, they just wanted to have a little conversation about my trips to Iran. Okay, so I said, fine, sit down and sat down. There was a, a younger guy who was the good cop. And there was the uh, a middle-aged woman, blonde, uh, who didn't smile at all. And she was the bad cop. And basically, I said, yeah, I was in Iran. And so what did you talk about? And I said, I talked about... Uh, the Hollywood production code. And then I proceeded to launch into an hour-long dissertation on the Hollywood production code to the point where he's starting to look at his watch and, uh, no, I'm not finished yet. Now sit down. I'm going to finish. My and so they eventually left. And that's, that's that. That's that. That was my experience with the FBI. And how long ago was that? Uh, a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh, how long ago was that? Maybe four or five years ago? All right, what's well, uh, 559, Doc? A uh, couple more? Yeah, let's have two more questions. Okay, from uh, from Taco Night uh, on Cozy. Uh, does Pope Francis being a leftist improve the Catholic position on Israel slash Gaza war? I don't, I don't, first of all, I, I think it's a stretch to call him a leftist. I, I don't think he has a consistent position on anything as far as I can tell. I think he's run by the Jesuits. 
he is a Jesuit. It's understandable how he would turn to them to help him run the church, but uh, I don't see any consistent. He reminds me of Juan Perón. I've said this in an article I did. Juan Perón, if you can figure out whether he was left or right, good luck. I've never been able to figure that out. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, Bergoglio, the Pope Francis, was deeply influenced by Juan Perón as, as a young man. Uh, so if he had a consistent position left or right, it wouldn't really make any difference because uh, I don't think that it really applies here. This is, this is a question of, uh, this is a spiritual question. And it's a spiritual question of basically the Holy Land and should the Holy Land be weaponized and used as a platform for genocide? And the answer is no. So what, what can we say? Uh, Herzl approached Pius X. Someone said he approached both Leo XIII and Pius X. Theodore Herzl, the father of Zionism, approached Pius X, I know this story, and said he would like his support um, when it comes to founding a state for the Jews. And uh, Pius X said, no, this is impossible. I will never support a state for the Jews. But if the Jews want to convert uh, to Catholicism, we will make sure that we have plenty of priests who will baptize them. I think that's an appropriate response to any type of Jewish uh, aspiration about having a state. And I think if they had that approach, I think that that's what uh, the Pope, the, the all subsequent Popes should have said something like that when they went to Jerusalem. I'm talking about Pope John Paul II and especially Pope Benedict. They should have said uh, baptism is the solution to, to your problems. Uh, if they had done that, they would have established themselves on a superior uh, spiritual plane and they would have garnered the trust of the people of the world and then they could have entered this as an honest broker. Uh, but I just think that uh, the authority that the Pope had, the Popes have had, has been uh, dissipated. Dissipated by their constant uh, harping on Catholic-Jewish dialogue. It has destroyed their identity as honest brokers. This is what I said to the, when I was in Iran, they said, is the Pope going to come to Iran? This was Benedict. And I said, I don't think so. I don't think so. He, he, he sided with the, because he was a German, he sided with the Jews because he felt he had to because of the Holocaust. That's why I wrote the Holocaust narrative. A large part of it is about Benedict and what happened to the church. Okay, last question. It's going to be from Gen X Catholic. Um, no, no, that's, yeah. No, no, I want to, sorry, sorry, Gen X. I'll read one from you next, next time. Uh, there's a better one that I meant to say. St. Stephen one. Uh, do we know if Netanyahu is a believing Jew or an atheist? I just, I just told you he quoted Amalek. He's quoting the Bible. Everything he does is based on his genocidal interpretation of the Bible. So I would have to believe that he's a, he's a uh, believing Jew, whatever that is, whatever that means. Uh, Jacques Maritain said, if you take the Bible out of the church, it becomes a revolutionary manifesto. I think it, in this instance, you take the Bible away from the church and it becomes a genocidal manifesto. It becomes a justification for genocide. Is that religious? I think it is. I think he basically ultimately feels that he's carrying out God's will by perpetrating war crimes against the Palestinians. And I think he needs the Bible as his justification for that. Well, there you are. Thanks again, everybody. This is uh, wrapping up our show here at EMJ Live. 
once again, where it's every Friday at 5. Um, and uh, make sure to subscribe to Culture Wars Magazine. Dr. Jones mentioned a couple good articles. That's going to be culturewars.com. Obviously, get the books at fidelitypress.org. If you don't have the Holocaust narrative, get it out. That's our most recent book. Subscribe, you know, all that stuff. Cozy, Telegram, Gab, BitChute, all that. Uh, no, no announcements. Uh, any last words, Dr. Jones? Pray for peace. Pray for peace. All right, guys. Y'all, God bless, and we'll see you next week.